0: Wildwood Community Church exists to glorify God by connecting people to Christ, His worship, His community, and His mission. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Well, good morning, Wildwood. Hey, it's great to be with you all again, and I'm very excited that we're going to be able to look into God's Word this morning. We're going to be continuing a series we began just a couple of weeks ago called Foundations, the Groundwork of a Gospel Movement. This series is walking us through Matthew chapters 3 and 4, and in those two chapters we see some foundational events in Jesus' public ministry that help us know something more of who He is and the movement that He is going to usher in as His ministry takes off. So we have been looking at things like John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus, who went as one crying out in the wilderness in the spirit and the power of Elijah. And we saw last week even in the baptism of Christ where God takes the microphone from heaven and introduces his son to the world. But today we're going to continue our discussion by looking at Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, and the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. But before we look at Matthew 4 together, I want to just share with you a story. Some of you have heard me share this before, but it takes us back to the summer between my sophomore and junior year in college. During that summer, my roommate and I were going to spend the summer in Lake Tahoe, not in the lake, but near it, as we were going to be a part of a summer project with Campus Crusade for Christ. Well, in our journey out to Lake Tahoe for the summer... Uh, we decided to see some of the sites that the American West has to offer, including the Grand Canyon. And so we drove up to the Grand Canyon, and I never will forget this. We got out, and my roommate and I are standing there on the edge of the southern rim of the Grand Canyon, looking out at its majesty. And I remember thinking, I could stand here forever and look at this. But we were 20 years old, and so forever was about 20 minutes And at the end of 20 minutes, it wasn't enough to be standing near the Grand Canyon. We needed to climb the Grand Canyon. And so we began to look for places to explore. And so we went down one part of the Grand Canyon and back up this other butte. And we found ourselves sitting on top of a rock with a whole new vista of the canyon. And that was amazing. But after we were up there for a short time, my friend decided to go back down, and that's when I remembered that law of physics. What goes up must come down, and I was paralyzed with fear. Um, He got down. He took off down the trail, and I found myself sitting on the side of that butte, wondering if I would ever get off. I thought that my only hope would be for a hiker to pass by and throw me up a power bar and a bottle of water. I just did not know how I was going to get down, and I found myself sitting there. I'm going to hit pause on that story. Uh, We're going to come back to it a little later on today. Um, But I want to just ask the question, do any of you ever feel paralyzed in the face of temptation? Do any of you ever feel as temptation is coming about you, that you have no choice but to give in? The only possibility out of that temptation is to take a great fall in an action that would injure yourself or those around you? I mean, has temptation ever been that scary of a reality for you? The chances are that it has, because here's what I know about you, and I know this about me. Temptation is universal for us. Every one of us in this room has experienced temptation. Whether you are here and you're the youngest one in the room, and we had a couple of two-year-olds in the 830 service, they have experienced temptation. All the way up to the oldest in the room, I won't single you out, you have experienced temptation. It hasn't gone away. I remember as a, a younger man thinking, you know what, at some point I'll get old enough that I won't be tempted anymore. You ever thought that? Well, I'm I'm 43 and counting, and I've, I've yet to get to that point where temptation stops. And as I talk to my friends who are older than me, temptation is still there. And temptation is common even for the Christian, isn't it? I mean, when we came to Christ, temptation didn't go away. Jerome knew this. In the fifth century, Jerome said this about temptation. He said, isn't it interesting that the devil is not drowned in the waters of your baptism? But temptation persists. It's something that we deal with. And so when we talk about the topic of temptation, and we're gonna look at Matthew chapter four today, we're talking about something that is not theoretically relevant to you, it is actually relevant to your life. Not someday, but today. Am I right? So we're talking about the topic of temptation. Now, one, a couple things that I want us to make sure we know as we talk about this topic of temptation, just in general, one of them is this. Temptation is not something that God does. God doesn't tempt us. James chapter 1 and verse 13 is clear in that regard. God does not tempt us. But in his sovereignty, God does allow temptation to come into our lives through the flesh and the world and the devil. And so, temptation is something we will deal with, not from God, but allowed by God in this world. So, temptation is common to all of us, and temptation is something that God does not cause but allows, Okay? But the third thing I think it's important for us to see, specifically when we look at the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness, is that his temptation is signaling something important for you and I to understand. And we know this in part because Jesus preceded his temptation in the wilderness by doing what? Fasting, right? 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus fasted. Now that period of time is a very relevant biblical pattern, With a history. 40-day, 40-night fasts, Jesus wasn't the first. Who are some of the other people that did a 40-day, 40-night fast? Well, Moses did one. Yeah, great, Rob. Moses did one. Right before he received the Ten Commandments, Moses fasted 40 days and 40 nights. And and not only did Moses do it before the Ten Commandments came, before the law came in, but we also have a 40-day, 40-night fast by Elijah, the prophet, before God revealed himself in the cave. And so when Jesus has a 40-day, 40 40-night 40 fast, he's tying himself to the law and the prophets and God is, is, is putting a highlighter on this event saying something big is getting ready to happen, something that you need to know about. So when we talk about the temptation of Christ, we're not just talking about just a random event in history, but we're talking about something that is relevant to us and something that God really wants us to know about. So he's preserved it for us in his word for a couple thousand years and we're gonna look at it together now. So if you've got a Bible, open up to Gospel of Matthew in chapter 4 in verses 1 through 11. I want to read for us these verses and then we'll back up and see a couple of things, a couple of observations from these verses as we apply it to our lives today and seek to understand it more. Matthew writes in Matthew 4 and says this, he says, "'Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil,' And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, then throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. So friends, we have in these 11 verses the temptation of Jesus. And I want us to see a couple of things from these verses today, things that I believe the Lord wants us to hear. The first one is this. Jesus is exceptional. Jesus is exceptional. Exceptional. Friends, in these foundational events in Jesus' public ministry, in the first few chapters of the book of Matthew, again and again, we have the identity of Jesus as the focal point of each of these stories. I mean, think about it. When you get the, the lineage of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1, the emphasis is that Jesus was the one who had the rightful heir to David's throne. When you get the, the magi coming from afar, we get Jesus... Clearly identified as the one, the hope for the Gentiles and for the Jews as people come. in. When you, when you get all the way over into um, chapter 3 and the forerunner going before him, it's a reminder that Jesus is the Messiah. His identity is clear in John's ministry. When Jesus is baptized, again, as we saw last week, God took the microphone and made sure that we knew that Jesus was the Son of God in whom he was well-pleased. The identity of Jesus is on display throughout these first chapters of Matthew, and the same is true when we get to Matthew chapter 4. The identity of Jesus as the one who is exceptional is on display. Now, you might be thinking, that's not necessarily what you expected me to say. Because in the temptation of Jesus, we think of Jesus not as being exceptional, but as Jesus being one of us. I mean, we are tempted, and he is tempted, so we have that in common. And so many times when we think of the story of the temptation of Christ, we think of what we have in common with Jesus. But I think the, the, the central point that is coming out here is that Jesus is exceptional. We see this really highlighted for us in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15 when he says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are. That is saying Jesus is not exceptional. He's common to us in our experience of temptation. But what does it go on to say? He is tempted as we are in every respect, yet without sin. Friends, that is an exceptional quality. I mentioned earlier that Temptation is common to all of us, regardless of our age. Temptation is something that we have faced. And yet, how many of us have been able to stand in the face of temptation and never sin? In case you're wondering, I'll answer it for you. None of us, all of us, fall short. Only Jesus is able to stand in the face of direct temptation this way, consistently, persistently, from the moment of his birth all the way through his life, never sinning. From eternity past to eternity future, Jesus has never sinned. He's never given in to temptation. He is truly exceptional in that regard. And by showing this and his exceptional righteousness and his ability to stand to temptation, Jesus is set apart from the rest of humanity. Specifically, I wanna give a couple of biblical examples that show how Jesus is exceptional. I wanna compare, first of all, Jesus to Adam. Now, remember, Adam was the first man. He and Eve were placed in the Garden of Eden in paradise. And it was in the Garden of Eden in paradise that they were tempted. Satan comes in and he tempts them. But do they stand? No, they fall and they sin, And the consequences have flowed from there. Now, think about Adam compared to Jesus. The Apostle Paul in the book of Romans will call Jesus the second Adam Jesus was tempted not in the place of blessing in the garden. He was tempted in the wilderness, one of the most barren places on the earth. He was tempted not with a full stomach as Adam was and Eve, but he was tempted in the wilderness after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights when he was hungry. And yet, was Jesus able to stand in the face of direct temptation by Satan? Absolutely, he was. In this way, the exceptional nature of Jesus is shown. He's unlike Adam. He's better. In a similar way, let's think about Jesus compared to the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel is led out of Egypt in the Exodus, that central event of the Old Testament. And they went down through the Red Sea and they came up into a wilderness experience. And it was in that wilderness experience, after they came up out of the water, that their true character was revealed. And it's, it's known when you read the Old Testament that God did not choose Israel because they were better than everybody else. Because as they went up out of the water and they walked in the wilderness, they worshiped idols, they complained, and they sinned. They rejected the God who had delivered them. And that way their true colors are shown. Now, let's compare that to Jesus who came up out of the waters of the Jordan River and goes out into the wilderness. And it's in the wilderness that Jesus' true character is revealed, not as one who is sinful, but as one who is truly righteous. Friends, Jesus is exceptional. We see that revealed in this story. And the exceptional nature of Jesus' character is revealed as he resists these three temptations. Now, what are these temptations that come to Jesus? Well, the first temptation is found in verses three and four. And it says, And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Satan was coming and he was asking Jesus, he was tempting him to do something apart from God's will. Jesus was in the desert. Around him were a number of rocks that were roughly the size of a loaf of bread. And Satan goes, Hey, Jesus, I know you're hungry. I mean, 40 days, 40 nights, you've got to be famished. I know you're the son of God. I mean, he, he says, it, we read it in our English Bible, if you are the son of God, but the way Satan said it, it he, he knew it, it's, it's his life as if he said, since you are the son of God, I know you have all kinds of power. Why don't you just use that power and turn one of those rocks into a little loaf of wonder bread and eat it? I know that's what you want, Jesus. Why don't you just go ahead and do it? And yet Jesus resists that temptation. He says, You're asking me to do something apart from the will of God, and I will not do it. I will not fall to your temptation, Satan. And he says, No. We'll talk about how he said no in a moment, but right now, just see that he resisted the temptation to do something apart from God's will. So Satan regroups, and he comes back with a, a second temptation. And in this second temptation, in verse 5, he says, The devil took him up to the holy city, and he set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. Satan tempts Jesus a second time to, to have something apart from God's will. He wants Jesus to put on a display of his identity and his power at Satan's beck and call. Now, it says that he did this by taking Jesus to the pinnacle of the temple. We don't know if this was a vision or if this was an actual physical trip, but when it talks about the pinnacle of the temple, we don't even know what that is, but we know it was a high place on the temple. It's it's thought that perhaps this was on the top of a portico that Herod the Great had built, that would from its spot, you could look out over the Kidron Valley and you would be about 450 feet in the air from that point. 45 stories tall, Jesus stands up there. And Satan says, hey, Jesus, I bet if you jump off of this 45-story cliff that God's angels will catch you and you won't break your legs and you won't break your back and you'll survive that fall and everybody will see it and go, wow, that was amazing. And not only was this something that J- Jesus was being tempted with, but it was actually a category that people in that day had. There, there was one would-be Messiah who actually had jumped from this portico into the Kidron Valley to demonstrate that they indeed were the Messiah. But you know what happened to them? God didn't catch them. They hit the ground and they died and their movement scattered. Satan was tempting Jesus to try to, try to have something, have a spectacle, have people see this power of God in an amazing way. And Jesus says, no way, Satan. You're asking me to put God to the test. Why would I put God to the test? I'm only going to act according to his will. That's the way this works. I only do the Father's will and the Father is not asking me to test him in that way. I'm not going to do it. And he shows his exceptional righteousness. So Satan regroups and he comes back with the third temptation. The third temptation, he comes back with. In verse 8, it says, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said, I will give you these if you will fall down and you will worship me. Now, again, we don't know if this was a physical journey or if this was a vision that, that they had together, but he's up on a mountaintop, and from that mountaintop, he can see the nations that surround it, or maybe in a supernatural way, they could see even further the kingdoms of the world. And Satan says, hey, Jesus, if you just get down on your knee right now just one time, just one time get down on your knee and worship me, guess what? All that will be yours, and, and you'll be able to avoid the cross, and you won't have to go through the pain and the rejection. You'll be able to skip all of that, and you'll get the sovereignty that I know that you you want and desire. Just I'll give it to you, Jesus. Just take a shortcut. RVG Tasker said of this passage, he said, Jesus was in effect tempted to subscribe to the diabolical doctrine that the end justifies the means, that so long as he obtained universal sovereignty in the end, it mattered not how that sovereignty was reached. That was the temptation that was there. It was a temptation to be something apart from God's will. But Jesus again says, no way, be gone, Satan. He demonstrated his exceptional righteousness and his exceptional character by resisting Satan in all of these respects. Now, I wanna just for a moment pause and and look at those those things. Let's go back, Paul, sorry, go back just one. At all of these temptations that are up here. And I wanna just ask for a second, are these temptations that that you and I have as well? I mean, are we ever tempted to do something apart from God's will? Is there ever something that we think, you know what, I wanna look at that, I wanna watch that, I wanna feel that, I wanna experience that, I wanna consume that? I wanna do something that I know God doesn't want me to do, but I wanna do it anyway because I think it'll lead me to happiness. I think it will feel good. I think it will bring me joy. So I wanna do something apart from God's will thinking that I know what's best. Anybody struggle with that? How about the temptation to have something apart from God's will? You know, you ever want a, something so much, We think about when, you, when you're in school, I want, you want so much that grade that you're willing to, Get it at any cost, even if it means cheating to get the grade that you want. You wanna have something, even if it, having it violates God's will. You wanna take money from your company. You wanna conceal funds from your spouse just so you can have it even apart from God's will. You may ever have that temptation. You may ever have a temptation to, to be something apart from God's will. You take a shortcut, desire so much uh, significance or fame or whatever, that whatever the cost you're willing to do it in order to be something, even if it means violating God's will. I mean, these are the temptations that Jesus faced in the wilderness. We ever experience any of those? Friends, we experience these things and yet we have fallen in them. Jesus experienced them and he stood strong. He's exceptional in this regard. And not only, I mean, think about this. We need to understand how exceptional Jesus is by thinking for a moment about what he could have done in each of these situations. He literally had the power to fulfill all of the temptations that were given to him. He had that kind of power. You know, if I told you that I was tempted to sign with the Oklahoma City Thunder with their open roster spot, you would laugh at me. Because though I might say that I'm tempted, I have no ability to deliver on that. But Jesus was tempted with things he could actually do. I mean, think about this. The first temptation was to turn stones to bread. Uh, Did Jesus have the ability to do some amazing things with food? Of course Jesus had the ability to do some amazing things with food. Think about the, the wedding in Cana in John 2 when he turns water into wine or, or think about when he takes a few fish and a few loaves and he feeds 5,000 with food left over. Jesus had the ability to deliver on what Satan was asking him to do but Jesus was saying, I'm not going to do it according to your terms. I'm only gonna do it according to the Father's will. Did Jesus have the ability to have his physical health protected in, 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 a, in a situation? Absolutely he did. Think about the situation in John chapter eight where people pick up stones to kill Jesus because of things that he has said. And Jesus, it said, slipped away from their midst. I mean, imagine that. A whole mob designed and ready to kill one man and somehow he's able to just slip their trap. It was a supernatural thing that happened there. Jesus obeyed the Father's will because he was not to die at the mob there. He was to go to the cross. Think about it when the soldiers come to arrest Jesus Did he have the ability to protect himself? They come to arrest Jesus. They said, who's Jesus? And he says, it is I. And what happened? Soldiers fell down. He had that kind of power at his disposal, friends. It was a a real temptation. He could have done that as he jumped off, but he said, no, I'm not going to do it according to your plan, Satan. I'm only gonna use those powers according to the Father's will. Let me ask you, uh, did Jesus ever have uh, an opportunity to possess all authority on the earth? Absolutely. Satan wanted to give it to him without the cross on a mountain outside of Jericho in the Judean wilderness. Jesus comes up later on in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, and he stands on a mountain up in Galilee. And he says what? All authority has been given to me on heaven and earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of who? All the nations. Why? Because Jesus had all authority over all of those nations. It was legitimate, the authority that he had. Jesus had all of those things at his disposal, and yet he said, it will only be according to the Father's will, not according to any abrogation that you would put in my way. Jesus is exceptional, friends. He's exceptional. Because of that, we can trust him. And the exceptional nature of the Son of God is on display in the temptation of Jesus. Now. There's a second thing that we need to see here, though, and that second thing is this. Not only is Jesus exceptional, but he is also our example. There is a component of this temptation story that is given to provide an example to you and I as we deal with temptation in our lives. Um, You know, it's interesting, Jesus' primary two weapons that he uses in the midst of his temptation are what? The Spirit of God and the Word of God. He is led by the Spirit of God into the wilderness. We know that he is relying upon the Spirit's power, and he is using the Word of God and his response to Satan in each of those responses. In doing that, Jesus is utilizing two weapons in the battle against temptation that you and I both have access to. As followers of Christ, we have both the Spirit of God inside of us, and we have the Word of God in our hands. And because of those things, we have the opportunity to battle temptation following the example of Christ. That's why the example of Christ is held up as a comfort to us as we experience temptation in the book of Hebrews in two different spots. Chapter 2, verse 18 says, for because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. And again, we've seen in Chapter 4, verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So there is, is hope and help in the example of Christ for us as we experience temptation. So the question then is, what can we learn from this experience of Jesus' temptation that will help us when we are tempted? I want you to think just for a moment of your own life and think of the temptations that you face. You've got them and I've got them. What do we do in the face of temptation? How do we follow Jesus as our example? Well, there's a few things we're gonna see from this passage. The first thing that we see is that when temptation comes, we need to rely on the Spirit. We need to rely on the Spirit. Matthew 4, one says that Jesus went into the wilderness empowered by the Spirit of God, led by the Spirit of God. That's, that's critical. That fact is given for our benefit so that we would know that the power that Jesus had to resist the temptation of Satan came through the Spirit of God. This is important for us because in Galatians, in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16, the Apostle Paul says this, it says, walk in the Spirit and you will in no way fulfill the desires of your flesh. In other words, the the hope and the strength and the power that you and I have to overcome temptation, to resist temptation, to walk away from it, is found not in ourselves, but it's found in God. You know, when we think about the temptation that we face, it it can feel like it's inevitable, like you're sitting on the edge of a cliff and you have no hope but to, to fall to your demise. When that temptation to pornography is digging its claws into you. You feel like you have no hope but to give in. When that temptation to get back into alcohol, if you struggle with alcoholism, is digging into you, you, have, you feel like you have no hope but to give into that. If you have a, an addiction to prescription medication, you feel like you have no hope but to get in, give in to that. Friends, in your own strength, and your own power, you have no hope. You feel like you have no hope but to give in to that gossip in those conversations that you have. Friends, in your own strength, and your own power, you, you truly have no hope, but guess what? We have more than just us. If we have trusted Christ as Savior, the Spirit of God resides within us and we can rely on the Spirit and His power to enable us to resist temptation. There is hope, and that hope is found in Christ and the working of His Spirit. One of the ways that we express that is through prayer, that we could regularly pray that God's Spirit would be at work within us to empower us to resist the temptation in our lives. First thing, we rely on the Spirit. The second thing, we need to redirect to the Savior. Redirect to the Savior. Friends, Jesus is always with us. We can look to him and rely upon him as he is Beside us in all of the struggles that we go through in life. We have the Spirit inside of us, but we have Christ beside us. We have a hope because of what he has done for us. And we need to remember his perspective and his ways because when we're in the midst of our temptation, our mind becomes singularly focused. I I have a friend who struggled with prescription addiction to prescription medication. And he told me that he would wake up in the morning and all he could do was think about how he was going to get his pills for that day just consumed his mind because that's what happens in the midst of our addiction. That's what happens in the throes of our temptation. That's all we can think about. In in temptation in your life, the thing is similar. When when you're harboring bitterness towards someone, what, what are you thinking about? Your anger and your bitterness towards that person. You're just focused on it. So what do we do? Well, we need to redirect our attention away from our temptation and towards our Savior. We need to reflect on him, think about him, think about the fact that he is with us in the midst of our struggle. Sometimes just shifting our perspective just a little bit can help us get unstuck in the midst of our temptation. We rely on the Spirit. We need to redirect to the Savior. Third thing, we need to remember the sword. The Word of God is called in the Word of God the the sword of the Spirit. We need to remember the sword. It's interesting, how does Jesus respond to Satan in every instance? He responds by quoting Scripture. Does anybody know what book he quoted? The book of Deuteronomy. In every instance, Deuteronomy 8, 3, the first one, 6, 16, and six thirteen. In all three instances, he's quoting the book of Deuteronomy as a response to the temptation that Satan is sending his way. Did you know that there is hope for you in Deuteronomy when you're tempted? Uh, my guess is some of you didn't know that, but it's right here in the Bible. There's, there's hope in the Word of God to help us battle temptation. Because when we're in temptation and we get so focused on it, we don't have the perspective that we need. We need a perspective outside of ourselves that is able to illuminate reality for us and let us know what is right and what is wrong. See, our emotions change. Here's the thing, have you ever given in to temptation? Does does it satisfy you? Okay, it might be fun for a moment, but how do you feel 10 minutes later, 15 minutes later? A day later, a week later, a year later, the regret that you have, right? Our emotions change and they're fickle, but God's word doesn't change. We need a perspective that will endure. Our emotions are not a reliable source of accurate information as it relates to what is right and wrong. The word of God provides that clarity for us. Jesus knew that. That's why he used it in response to Satan. And you and I need to hide God's word in our hearts. Why do we read it? Why do we preach from it? Why do we study it? Why do we encourage each other with it? We do so because we need this word as a weapon to defend against the lies of the enemy. We need to hide God's word in our heart. We need to remember the sword. The fourth thing, we need to resist Satan. We to resist Satan. Jesus eventually just says, be gone, Satan. Just go away. In the book of James, in chapter 4, we, we see something similar. Flee Resist Satan and he will flee from you. There's, there's a sense where when we're in the midst of temptation, we shouldn't linger, but we should address it directly and get out of there. That's a way for us to respond to the temptation uh, that is in our life. We get an example of that back in the Old Testament when Joseph is tempted into an inappropriate relationship with Potiphar's wife. What does he do? He leaves his garment and he takes off. It's appropriate for us to respond to temptation by resisting Satan and by fleeing from him. If, if, if you find that your temptation is found in a certain group of friends, then maybe you need to, some new parameters on those friendships, or maybe you need some new friends. If you find that your temptation to sin is, is found in the electronics that you carry around, then you need a new electronics plan. I don't care how cool your smartphone or your tablet is. It's not worth it if you're using it to unlock evil in your life. We you need to resist Satan in those ways. I don't care what your liberty is. If if you can't take uh, ingest something in your body in moderation, then you need to Resist it and walk away from it. It's part of what it means for us to, to resist Satan in our lives, is we call it what it is and we, we say, Be gone, and we head in the opposite direction. As we're relying on the Spirit, we're redirecting to the Savior, we're remembering the sword, and we're resisting Satan. Some of what we can do in response. But I want to mention one last thing. And that last thing is this it has to do with our past. We need to remember that we can resurrect from our sin. Friends, the wages of sin is what? Death. But in Christ, we have the hope of resurrection. When I talk about temptation, it's almost impossible to talk about it without you thinking about failure from your past. When I start talking about temptation, you go, okay, I remember when I blew it. It's, it's fine and well and good for you to talk about the hope that I have to maybe do something different the next time, but I'm looking at my past, I'm looking at my track record, and I see that I've screwed up consistently and continually throughout my life, and so I just feel like I have no hope because we spend our lives looking backwards. Friends, what a, what a shame it would be for us to talk about temptation and just give you a bunch of stuff like, hey, you guys just need to do a bunch better next time. Come on, get in the game. You can do it. There's a sense where we need to trust God and we need to walk forward in obedience to him, but we need to do it remembering that we have a resurrection from our sins. What Jesus has done for us is he's made it possible for the guilt associated with our sin to be fully dealt with so that we are freed from it. We can face the temptation of tomorrow with a clean slate because of what God has freed us from in our past. When Jesus goes to the cross and he dies for us there, all of God's wrath for our sin was fully satisfied, including the wrath that God has for your failure when you did not resist temptation in the past. If we trust in Christ, then we are forgiven and we have a new resurrection life in him. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 11, that this, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in us giving life to our mortal bodies. We have a hope, friends, of resurrection life. If you're here today and you're thinking of this topic of temptation and you're still stuck to your past, then you need to focus and remember and realize that you can receive today by faith the gift of life and resurrection that God is offering us in Christ. And that begins merely by trusting him for the forgiveness of your sins. Friends, Jesus is exceptional. Jesus is also our exceptional example, providing a way of help for us in our time of need. Now, I want to share with you, uh, just take you back to the Grand Canyon. I'm sitting on the edge of that butte and I'm watching the world go by before me, thinking that my only hope is to fall to my demise, or to remain on that butte forever. Um, When a third option becomes apparent. My friend, Tate, who had wandered off down the trail, realized after a few uh, feet that I was not behind him. And so he turns around and he comes back. And my friend, Tate, who had effectively navigated that butte in the past, climbs up it and tells me, here's what we're gonna do. Give me your foot and I'm gonna place it in a hold, and then give me your other foot. And I'm going to place it in another one. Now take your hands and put them here. Okay, you good? Now we're going to go to the next one down. And he took me all the way down that rock face, one step at a time. My friend was able to do that because he had successfully navigated that in the past, and so I had confidence to trust him in the present. And friends, when we see that Jesus is exceptional, he's our example. He is conquered temptation and sin, we have a hope of trusting him in the midst of our temptation as well to save us from our demise and to help us navigate life. So Let's trust him together. Father, we thank you for the opportunity you've given us to trust you. Father, thank you that even though we live in a world that is temp- tempting us and our flesh is, is prone to wander Father, thank you that you have allowed us the privilege of trusting you uh, today, seeing that Jesus is the exceptional one, the one who has conquered temptation, the one who is truly righteous. And Father, I pray that you would help us to embrace him and to trust him, that he would be our righteousness, that he would be our hope, and that all of us in this room, whether it is Uh, A moment of of confirmation of what we have already believed or whether it's the first step of belief in Christ, that we would lean into Jesus today and see his victory be our victory over sin, death, and temptation. Father, we thank you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.